This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Well, good morning. Happy New Year to all of you. My name is Becky Schomer. I am the campus director here at the Green Bay campus. I'm so delighted to have so many of you joining with us this morning. Would you stand with me, please, as we recite the Apostles' Creed? This is our statement of faith and what we believe in as a church here at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. You know, I spent a number of years um, working down in kids' ministry, and we do the Apostles' Creed with the kids as well. And I might have told you this before, but it's always sweet to me because we'll have the kids turn their backs from the screen if they think they can do it from memory. Um, so when you walk into kids' church and they're saying the Apostles' Creed, they're all facing the back of the room. Sometimes I think that would be really funny if we all started just facing the back of the room. <laughs> just kidding, sorry. Random thoughts as we get started this morning. <laughs> I do want to take a moment at this point in our service. This is where we just take a moment to, um, to pause and take a, an offering. Um, we don't actually pass back at baskets, but we do want to encourage you, if you would like to give cash or a check this morning, there are some envelopes in your seat backs. And when you leave the service today, the ushers will have some baskets at the back of the room and you can just drop it in there. Um, but we have many ways that you can give here at the church. Many of you we know are signed up for recurring giving or you'll give online. Those of you who join us online have been using that as a method as well. And we're so grateful, especially if you're able to do recurring giving, it just helps us really to plan for the things of the church. Um, and then also you can download our app onto your phone and you can give through the Celebration app. It's super easy that way as well. There's just a little give button there and you can, um, there's a little scrolling thing at the bottom. So you just tell it where you would like your gift to go. Um, but however it is that you give, we just want you to know that we are truly so grateful for the generosity of the people here at Celebration Church. Um, and we're just delighted to see it. We know that it truly is just a statement about your faith journey as well. So we thank you for that. Um, Pastor Mark and Deanna are visiting some family in Arizona this week. Um, I'm sure that they're awfully sad to be missing our chilly temperatures. Not really, I wouldn't be either. 
<laughs> Actually, I don't know how warm it is there either, but clearly not as cold as it is in Green Bay. But they are just getting some time with family and we're just always delighted for them. Arizona is clearly a far ways away from Green Bay, Wisconsin. So whenever they're able to go down there, we're just delighted and we're glad that they're able to take some time here on the holidays to go down there. Um, so clearly, Pastor Mark will not be preaching today. I will be picking up that charge. Um, but if today is your first time with us, I want you to know I will do a fine job for you today, but Pastor Mark is truly a gifted communicator. So we hope that you'll come back next week and you'll join us as well. Um, so before I get into the message today, you all got to meet my husband, Keith. He was up here doing that, that, ministry, um, that ministry moment today. And he oversees the kids up to youth, the family life, we call it, ministries here at the church. And he has been in full-time ministry for about 17 years, I wanna say. So it really has covered the majority of our children's growing up years. Um, and a number of years back, we had gone to a conference and the speaker at the conference was talking about the fact that he tried to avoid using his, um, his children or his family and friends in his sermon illustrations. But he had said that if he did, he would always pay them money. Um, and I thought that was kind of funny, but he explained it wasn't, of course, because they needed compensation, but he just wanted to be fair. And he felt like if he was opening up somebody's very, like a very valuable part of their life and experience to the public, he felt like it was worth just giving something of value in exchange. Um, so... To begin with today, I want you to know that I'm gonna tell you a real story about real people in my life, um, but I have completely changed their identity and storyline, <laughs> not just to protect their identity, but to protect my pocketbook as well. <laughs> But anyway, in all seriousness, I have some very dear friends who recently found themselves in a very, very difficult financial situation. You see, they're very smart with their money, but life just threw them some really serious curveballs. And I know that we can relate to the idea of curveballs in our lives and debt and things like that, but I'm telling you, these are some curveballs that they really just couldn't have anticipated and it left them in just a very, very difficult position. So these friends of ours found themselves facing a very overwhelming, um, and actually that's probably not even a fair word, it was truly just an insurmountable debt that they were going to be facing. You know, one of those debts where you look at it and you think, I don't even know how we can manage the minimum payments on that one. And if that wasn't heavy enough, the situation that they found themselves in had some very, very real ramifications for their family. So to kind of give you an idea of what it would be like, let's say that you had a child that required a life-saving surgery that just cost a lot of money, and the hospital was requiring you to put all of the money up front for this surgery. The problem is, based on your income and your abilities, if you had 10 years to save, you likely wouldn't be able to come up with the money that was required for your child. It was this kind of a heavy, I mean, serious kind of situation. So as I said, these are friends of ours. So we were approached one day by a couple who um, became aware of this family's financial struggle. And they had, again, these aren't the real details, but they had um, asked us if we knew what hospital um, the surgery was gonna be done at in, in this particular case, um, because this couple actually had some means and had some financial security in their lives. And so they really wanted to take it upon themselves to pay 
the debt that was gonna be incurred by, um, by this family. So this debt was gonna be paid, all of it, every cent. So before I tell you how this couple responded to this gift that they were given, I want us just to take a moment and pause this morning and I want us to reflect on a debt that we each carry as well, that we also don't have the means to pay. Now I would guess, because I've just given you a financial story, most of us are thinking of some, some bill that looms over us that we would love for somebody to cover, um, and I don't disagree, I could think of a couple as well that I'd be, <laughs> I'd be delighted if somebody wanted to take care of. But that's not actually what I'm talking about this morning. The debt I'm talking about is a different kind of debt. And we read about it in the Bible, so I wanna draw your attention this morning to Romans the chap- chapter three, verse 23, where it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then in chapter six, we are told that the wages of sin is death. Death. That's a pretty big payment, you'd have to say. You know, nobody can actually pay that one off and live to tell about it. Sorry, that was a little bit corny. serious business and all of us have sinned, all of us. You know, it's interesting to me when I get into conversations with people because every now and then, actually I feel like more often than not, I'll run into people who just really have a hard time acknowledging that they're a sinner. And what's interesting to me is they also are often people who who really struggle to even step foot inside of a church. But whether you are in church this morning or you are out of church, whether you call sin, sin, or you like to call it your right to do whatever it is that you want to do, I think we need to understand that when we live in our life, our, live our life in a way that misses the mark of what God had intended for us, then biblically, it's sin. And all of us have done it and we all fall short of God's perfect and holy standard. And the payment that is required because of that is more than what any of us is capable of giving in order to satisfy that debt. Nothing like starting out 2022 with a feel-good message, is there? (laughs) Happy New Year, everybody. You're all sinners and you deserve to die. It's a great way to start the year. so sorry. I'm really not morbid and this is not a morbid message. The truth of the matter is if you will just embrace those two truths, they are the beginning of the greatest message that you're ever going to hear. So to help me to get to that point, I want to tell you another story. And this is a story that Jesus actually told his disciples about a man just like you and me who had a debt that he couldn't pay either. We read about it in the book of Matthew, the 18th chapter, and it goes like this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. So Jesus would often use parables like these in order to teach spiritual lessons. So this isn't a story that actually happened, 
although Jesus did actually tell the story. You know, the Bible, I don't know if you know this, but the Bible is just filled with lots of different genres of literature. Um, and so this, although this account comes out of the Gospels, and the Gospels are true accounts of the life and teaching of Jesus, this story that Jesus is telling is just that. It's a story. And it's meant to convey, convey some spiritual truths to the people who are listening. So in this parable, we are introduced to a king who wants to settle accounts with his servants. Now, in case you haven't figured out who this character is meant to represent, I'm gonna help you out. I'll give you the cheap version right here. But the king is meant to represent the Lord, okay? And it was the desire of this king not to have a looming debt that stood between he and his servants. He wanted the account settled. So this servant is brought before him and we find out that he owes 10,000 bags of gold. 10,000 bags. In today's standard, that would be millions and millions of dollars. And this guy, he's just a servant. So he really has no way of being able to pay back that money, much less do a down payment or minimum payment. I don't even know if they did that kind of thing at that time. You know? And so the king ordered that this man and his family and everything that he owned would be sold off to satisfy the debt. Now, I wanna remind you at this point again that this is a story that Jesus told, okay? At this time in history, they didn't really sell off families in order to satisfy debts or anything like that. So for Jesus to include this in the story, he was clearly trying to make the point that this was a gut-wrenching, life-altering kind of payment that was, um, that was due, and it was expected that it was going to be paid. And because of this, the servant fell to his knees and he begged for mercy from the king. And he had said that if he would just give him some time, he would pay back everything that he owed him. <clears throat> I was thinking about this and I thought, gosh, I wonder how the servant accumulates that kind of debt. You know, I imagine that it probably didn't seem like a big deal at first, maybe he made a bet on a game or borrowed some money to buy a home for his family. I'm sure the payments all seemed manageable at first until they all came due at once. But then I was reminded that this is a story and Jesus didn't really have to give us the backstory. It doesn't really matter how or if the, a servant really did get himself in this kind of debt. But I started to reflect back then on our debt, that debt that we read about, the debt of our sin. And I started to think, you know, it's exactly how sin works. We think it's so manageable. We can start out and we might just show an unkindness to somebody or we tell a little lie and we can justify why it's okay that we did that. And as we keep living our lives, we might get into habits of drinking too much or getting into relationships that really just miss the standard that God wants for our lives. And we think to ourselves that it's okay, like we can manage it, and in time, we'll slowly start to clean these things up in our lives. And what we don't realize is that even the smallest of these things is incurring a debt that is so huge that we have no possible way to pay it on our own. You know, if we really understood this, I feel like we would just act like the servant in the story, right? we would literally be falling to our knees and begging the Lord for his mercy. <clears throat> because mercy is the only solution to an insurmountable amount of debt. 
And it was the only solution for the servant as well. Jesus goes on to tell this disciple that the servant's master took pity on him. He canceled the debt and he let him go. Let me read that one more time. Did it say the servant's master took pity on him, set up a manageable payment schedule, and then let him go? No. It says that the, master's, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. That's even more than what the servant had asked for in this story. He asked for time and patience so that he could pay him back. But we have to remember that the desire of the king was to settle accounts. And in order to do so, the king needed to provide the payment that equaled the size of the debt. You know, he does the same thing for me and you. That verse I quoted earlier in Romans chapter six, it says, for the wages of sin is death, but... Now, I may have left out that but the first time. And this is why it's so important that when people are using Bible verses to teach us spiritual truths to try to con convince us of certain things, it really is important that we're going back and we are reading the fullness of the scriptures. So I want you to know that it is true. Please go back and read it. Um, all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death. But... Romans 6.23 goes on to say, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So you see, when Jesus was put to death on that cross, he paid the payment that was required for our sins. It was the only way that God could settle accounts with sinful man. And we have to accept that payment that Jesus made on our behalf you see, no amount of trying to do good or coming to church or being kind or any of those things is ever going to add up to the amount of the debt that it was that we, um, that we were required to pay. So God responded to our need. He provided payment equal to the debt that we owed. That, my friends, is the good news. But the parable doesn't end there. You see, Jesus goes on to say, that when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Have you ever read a book or watched a movie and you've gotten so swept up in the characters that you find yourself literally like rooting for the hero or despising the villain in the story? Um, I had gotten a phone call from a friend and she was in tears <coughs> wanting to tell me about this character in a book that she was reading who had just given her life to the Lord. And now after she had gone on for a little bit, I did stop and I just kind of had to get my head together about what was going on. And I, I asked her again, so wh who was this person that became a Christian? And um, I'm sorry, how is it that you know them? And it was after the second question that I think she started to figure out how ridiculous this was that she actually had called me <laughs> at 
to share this information with me. But she wanted to make sure that I remembered that God was still worthy of praise because he could draw somebody like this character in the book that she was reading and bring them to himself, which I don't disagree, but we still both, I gotta tell you, we laugh about that story a lot. But what's interesting is I look at this story, and again, I know it's a story that Jesus told, but after this part that I just read, I gotta be honest with you, I know it's pretend, but I'm a little ticked. I feel a little heated here. See, this guy, he was just forgiven a huge debt. Now remember, it was 10,000 bags of gold that he was forgiven. And we pick up in this part and we find out that he goes and he finds a fellow servant. So this is a peer of his, a peer who owed him 100 silver coins. 100 silver coins, 10,000 bags of gold. I hope we all understand there's nothing even close in comparison to these two debts. And then it's not even that he just went after him to be able to get this, um, this money back from him, but the scriptures tell us that he chokes him. I mean, this is pretty intense, right? He chokes him and then he eventually has him thrown into jail until he can pay back this debt. Anybody else feeling a little bit heated about this? And then what's really interesting to me is this same servant fell on his knees, right? He begged for mercy, just like this freshly forgiven servant had just done. And even at that, as he stood, stood there, knelt there, down on his knees, asking for mercy, this servant demonstrated none. He had him thrown in jail. I'll tell you what, I'm a little bit ticked. <laughs> I think this is like that feeling that I get. I think this is what they call... Um, I don't even know if it's right or not, but like to me, it reminds me of that phrase, righteous indignation. Like, I just feel like it's right that I feel like fired up about this. But you know, if we think about it, life really requires a lot of grace-laced decisions on our part. I think we'd be surprised by how often, if we were really paying attention, that we are called on to, to demonstrate grace. Think about the times that you're cut off in traffic or maybe you've been gossiped about or maybe somebody has borrowed something from you and they haven't returned it, but they're looking to borrow something again. Or maybe it's even like the guy in our story. Maybe somebody has borrowed money from you and they show no signs of ever paying it back. So day after day, we are confronted with little decisions and big decisions that tax our grace. And I have to be honest, I started to think about like, what are we supposed to do when it keeps coming? And I thought about this, this servant and I thought, well, gosh, was he actually so wrong to want what was owed to him? It was a legitimate debt, right? Well, Jesus finishes the parable. He tells his disciples that when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged, and they went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servants in, called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. I guess I'm not the only one who gets a little heated over the actions of that servant, the fake friends and the fake story. 
got a little bit upset as well, as did the king. But I think it's pretty important at this point that we remember why Jesus told parables, okay? These are not meant to be step-by-step instructions for life and how we're supposed to live. They don't tell us exactly how God would act in this exact situation or even in a similar situation. Parables were meant to teach us spiritual truths, okay? They're intended to help us understand the kind of character that we're supposed to develop as followers of Christ, and they're intended to help us to understand the character of God himself. And we see from this part of the parable that when forgiveness is extended, forgiveness is expected. And this is pretty serious stuff. Now, if you're like me, I imagine that we've all had some encounters in our lives where we feel like we have given more than our fair share of forgiveness or grace to somebody. You've definitely extended some grace and you don't even know always if if that person has even had to extend grace to you. Sometimes it feels really lopsided. I can think about times when I've been cut off in traffic and then the person who cuts me off slows down to like 10 miles per hour below the speed limit in my lane. (laughs) And I will just pass them in the other lane and I won't say any foul words, I won't roll my eyes or anything like that. Like, that's grace to me. I've just been taxed. And that person, I don't think anyway, I don't think I taxed their grace in any way unless I was doing something that I didn't know about. But you know, we look at that, I I think of stories right now where just, we continue, of course, in this long season of everybody's um, mindsets and perspectives about COVID. And we just know that it has brought such division into families and into communities and workplaces So I think about the opportunities I'm sure many of us had over the holidays if we've been with people who just think very differently than we do. I encountered some of this as well, that they might make it pretty clear that they think that anybody who disagrees with them or thinks differently is pretty much an idiot, and yet you disagree with how they are, but you've navigated through those holidays and you've just kept your mouth quiet You didn't get into their face. You didn't feel a need to disrupt it. And in fact, when you were all enjoying dessert, you maybe just so kindly even offered a little bit more whipped cream on that person's dessert. That's grace, right? But I look at that and I think at some point there has to be a limit, doesn't there? I mean, isn't there some point at which enough is enough? I know that he says where forgiveness is given, forgiveness is required, but I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I've taxed, I've given a great deal. And this is where it's important to understand what made Jesus decide to share this parable. So I'm gonna bring you backwards in the text now. We're gonna go to verse 21. And it says here that Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. It always starts with Peter asking the questions that most of us want to ask, but maybe are a little too afraid. But I want to paint the picture a little bit more clearly for you, okay? Because Jesus had just finished talking to his disciples about how they should handle the problem of sin. So let me just back it up even a little bit further. In Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17, he says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. 
And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I share that with you this morning because I want you to know that if you are struggling with this idea of offering repeated forgiveness and thinking that in some way it suggests the fact that we just kind of overlook those wrongdoings, I want to assure you that that's not the case. Jesus was making it very clear in this passage before he told the parable that this issue of sin is something that needed to be dealt with. It needed to be addressed. And I think it's important to note also that biblical forgiveness doesn't mean normalizing the relationship and pretending like things hadn't happened at all. It's more of a release. It's like giving up our own right to exact the penalty for that wrongdoing that someone's done to us. And instead, we just hand it over to the Lord and we just trust him to act with justice and mercy for that person so that we don't have to carry it anymore. So anyway, Peter, he was very zealous. He was a zealous Jew. So he would have known that the rabbis generally agreed at this time in history that somebody should be, given for a, should be forgiven for a repeated sin. He also would have known that the rabbis generally agreed that somebody should be forgiven for a repeated sin up to three times. But if they repeat the sin more than three times, forgiveness, according to the Jewish customs, was no longer merited. So you see, when Peter came to Jesus and he said, Lord, how many times must I forgive? Seven times? I'm sure he thought he was being pretty big-hearted. He threw out a number that was more than twice what he knew was actually expected. So I'm sure he was a little surprised when he got Jesus' response. I tell you, not seven, but 77. Now, some versions will also read that as seven times 70. Again, this is a parable. So I hope you understand the, the concrete number isn't what matters here. What God is trying to help us understand is that there are no limits on how much he is willing to forgive. And where unlimited forgiveness is offered, unlimited forgiveness is expected. So now we understand why Jesus told the parable. We see in it God's desire to have the account of our sin settled. I'm so grateful for that. We also see the weight of our sin and our relationship to God. It's kind of like those bags of gold as compared to the weight of our sin and our human relationships, which tends to be a bit more like those silver coins. You see, we understand that they're not equal to each other. And if we truly will begin to understand how great that debt was against the Lord, when we get that, we should begin to understand that extending anything less to anybody else produces that feeling, that righteous indignation that we maybe felt for the servant. It produces that kind of feeling maybe to the Lord that we felt about the servant. Let's not be those people. It's okay to wrestle with forgiveness. That's not the same as being unwilling to forgive somebody. But if you want to continue to experience God's unmerited, unlimited forgiveness in your life, then unmerited, unlimited forgiveness is expected in return. That's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
So I'd like to tell you how that story ended with my friends whose, whose debt was getting paid off. When they became aware of it, they of course were overwhelmed, delighted, grateful, all of the emotions that you can imagine that come with it. But do you wanna know what they said to us? They said, wow, we wish we could do that for somebody else. Because you see, when we feel the weight of what has been forgiven for us, what should grow inside of us is that desire to see that same experience for another. That is the beauty of God's mercy and his grace and his forgiveness. So I'm gonna invite our um, musicians to come back out and I'm gonna invite our ushers to get ready to prepare for communion this morning. You see, every Sunday when we gather together, we do share in a time of communion. And it's that moment in our week where we just acknowledge with great humility that payment that was made for us, which is why Paul said that we need to examine ourselves before we eat of the bread and we drink of the cup. Wanted to make sure that we're mindful of that great debt that Jesus paid. And truly, my friends, I hope you get this. It's the good news. It is such a great gift that we were given at that time. So I'm gonna ask you all to just bow your heads in prayer with me this morning. And we're just gonna ask him, Lord, before we partake of the bread and the cup this morning, in obedience to what your word tells us, we do pause now and we examine ourselves. God, if we've sinned against you this week in thought or word or deed, by what we have done or what we've left undone, if we have not loved you with our whole heart, if we've not loved our neighbors as ourselves, if we have not extended forgiveness to another, though we received it from you. For the sake of your beloved son, Jesus, who gave himself as the sacrifice for our sins, have mercy on us. Forgive us, Lord, of all of our sins. Strengthen us in all goodness. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life that we might delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. And now as our heads are still bowed, if you're here today or you're tuning in and listening and you're realizing that you haven't yet accepted the payment that Jesus made on your behalf, you can do that right now. He wants to settle accounts with you. All you need to do is quietly in your own words, tell him that you know that you're a sinner that you've missed the mark and ask him to cover your payment for your sin. Amen.